doing things behind the curtain, hiding things from your team, not man, not mentoring and training. Um, those should be immediate, immediate red flags because ultimately. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. So what's going on? Uh, two things. Um, it's not good to drink coffee in the morning without water and without eating first. Why is that? I don't know. It just, it tends to make you more, it, may, it makes me more like jittery. Jittery? Like, yeah. Okay. So no, it, give, it gives me the shot in the arm I need. Does it with t- yeah. t- having it without anything first? Yeah. Maybe? Well, I, you know, so, and especially this morning, um, uh, I had a two and a half year old wake up at 4 15 oh, and didn't want to go back to sleep so we came down like I, I got you know we have a little recliner in his room so i went in and got him i said all right let's let's sit here try to get him back to sleep and he's like no 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 i'm pointing to the door i'm like everything is still asleep everybody's still asleep <laughs> and, he, and he didn't want to hear it so we came down we sat on the couch like i put the recliner up in the living room we were sitting there and he'd look up at me every once in a while and probably about 45 minutes went by maybe even an hour and I'm like, all right, you're awake. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> do you want some breakfast? Uh-huh. How about some eggs? Uh-huh. I'm like, all right, I'll go make you some eggs. <laughs> that is awesome. So I'm in the kitchen at 5.15. Now, I mean, normally when he comes down at quarter seven, seven o'clock, I've got, you know, my wife or I have breakfast ready for him to go. But here I am at 5.15 in the morning, you know, scrambling up some eggs for him. And so, of course, at that point, I'm also making myself a cup of coffee yeah to to get going well i i don't remember that cadence because i'm looking at mine up here he comes he just got up it's 11 (laughs) nice (laughs) that's i guess one of the uh one of the joys of homeschool you can do things that that is not asynchronous you can do things on your own schedule which i think is actually an interesting completely separate conversation but you know, we've talked about it a lot from a remote work perspective, like working the hours that you feel the most energized, you know, like you're in the zone. It's like, man, watching him do that for school, like going to school, the hours he feels the most alert and awake is amazing. It's like, I don't have to force him to go to school at 730 in the morning when he doesn't want to. Like, yeah, he can do it on his time when he's ready. So no, like, and, and the, the homeschooling conversation has has come up you know, between the two of us, my wife and I, that is, you know, thinking about like, especially over the last six months as I've really tried to embrace working remotely, like actually working remotely and taking advantage of just being able to go somewhere else, get a change of scenery. And I'm like, what if we did that with him as well? You know, like there, there's, there's gotta be groups out there, activities out there where he (laughs) still has interaction with other kids, Mm -hmm. but we can still, you know, you know, get all our, both of us get all of our work done before Friday and then Friday go off and do some kind of activity. Because one of the things I, th- I started talking to you about this and like I'm really working to do it is 
restructure my week a bit where all of the work I need to use the laptop for gets done Monday through Thursday mm -hmm. and then try to try to have it so that all the work I need to do on Friday can all be done on the iPad. Mm. So then this way I can go somewhere on Fridays, like whether it's going to, to story hour with, you know, with my wife and my son and I'll sit there, I'll have the iPad and I'll work, but I'll still be there with them. Maybe go out somewhere with them and have, you know, still be able to get work done, but still go out and, and do their different things. And then also like the benefit of that. And we've talked about that is trying to change up scenery mm -hmm. so that it kind of gets the, the creative juices flowing. So what, what are you able to, um, what are you able to get done on the iPad? I've never, I, I know people do it, but I've, you know, for, for me, it's, it's my, my son's uh, device that he plays Roblox and Minecraft on. So I've never thought of it as like a business device. Yeah. I have, there's individual apps for Notion, for Evernote, for Workflowy, for, um, uh, what's the one I'm blanking on Trello. So those tools, which we all use, Notion for internal communication and planning, uh, Evernote for my week-to-week to month-to-month -to -month notes, Workflowy for my day-to-day -day and structuring, okay, this is what I'm going to do next week. I'm, I'm slotting this in two weeks from now uh, to do that. And then Trello for, for client milestones. I can do all four there. And then there's an iCloud um, and Dropbox apps. So mm. the iCloud files, which, you know, I can get to all my documents and sync in real time. Mm -hmm. Dropbox is still a little wonky, but like I do, I use pages for just like random notes throughout the day. And I also use pages for podcast show notes and, mm. and planning. So I've got like a calendar in Notion for, um, for our content. And then I have the individual show notes per episode and pages. So two weeks ago, when I worked from the Ocean City Boardwalk, I sat there for an hour and a half listening to the surf, watching the surfers go by, planning out episodes through the end of this year into, into January of next year, all awesome. in pages. It pages in Notion, so stubbing out our topics, stubbing out actual episode, like our, our general topics to span a couple of weeks, individual episodes, and then starting to put together the general description of the episode and what I want to talk about. So I could do all of that from the iPad. I use my phone as a personal hotspot. All of those apps will sync in real time uh, as I'm working with it. Very and cool. so, so yeah, I can, I've, I've actually become more productive on it. I actually, and I do have a, a coding application. So like if something were to come up, I could technically write code on it hmm. a little bit harder, but that being said, I also have the laptop. So do you, have a, do you have a separate keyboard for the iPad or do you do the no. virtual keyboards? I, I use the virtual keyboard because the whole point, I wanted a device that's different because I yeah. found with myself, because you were talking about finding things that work for you, whether mm -hmm. it's schedule, right times, a change of pace gets the energy and the creative juices flowing for me. So if I were just to replace one laptop with something else, that's a laptop, I, I think it would it would stagnate it, even though believe me, I get gear envy when I see yeah, yeah. the uh get, you know, see the the actual like uh Apple branded keyboard folios and whatnot. Mm -hmm. That being said, like just sitting there and having this thing where I can scroll through, type out notes, and just kind of feel like I'm sitting there with a notebook. That's kind of the feel it gives me sitting there with a notebook. Um and 
not a laptop notebook, but like a notebook notebook where I can just start scribbling stuff out, yeah. stubbing things out kind of gives me that, 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 that change. Very cool. No, that is, that is awesome. Oh, and as a quick side note, I had the, at lunch the other day with a friend of mine. And if you're not, if you're not watching the behind the scenes on YouTube, you're not going to get the great visual, but he brought me this little gift. These nice. Bookmarks of the Seinfeld characters. That's awesome. Which I'm kind of doing a balance of reading on because I picked up the, um, the Kindle paper, paper white, um, which I've really been enjoying, but I also have some uh, actual books, which I really like. Uh, and I'm, just starting this one getting things done nice so yeah and there's you know going back to the the ipad like there is also the kindle app so i can sit there and like i, I usually have two or three books going at any given mm-hmm. time i can pull it up and just read read a bit read a chapter or so with it nice so i mean it, it's been a great addition to to my work rep- repertoire yeah. and and just kind of adding a mix to it but it is it's like the more i i've thought about it and especially like, you know, two Fridays ago, just working from the beach. I'm like, yeah, I got to make Fridays the day that I get out of the house, whether it's, I go somewhere by myself or I go somewhere with my family with the iPad where I could still get stuff done, try to get a change of pace that kind of, you know, spark some ideas and start to flesh them out there. But then Monday through Thursday is the day to really hack away at the desk. No, I, I like that. And I, obviously this isn't a gear show, but um, <laughs> I, I do like the uh, strategy of not having a laptop um, into forcing you to be in a different mindset and state. Uh, because I think when you have the laptop, it basically is a mobile desktop and you, it's like, well, I've just kind of moved locations. But if you're going to the iPad, it's almost like you're putting yourself in a different flow and state of mind for different, maybe more thinking heavy centric tasks uh, but still having some technology to help manage that yeah um, it's a really it's a really interesting um setup that you've you come up with and then all of those things we've talked about whether it's the iCloud and Dropbox syncing or especially the iCloud syncing um anything I'm using to sync documents there and then any of the apps I mentioned it, it's immediately available on my desktop yeah so like I mean there are even times where I'll be, you know, sitting here at the desk or standing at the desk. I need, I need to get a new mat for the standing desk. It's, it's been bothering my feet. I need to get something new, but, um, I, I've been on calls with the laptop and have had the app, the, the iPad there as kind of the, the notepad to go through stuff as, uh-huh. as I'm working. So like uh-huh. that, that was honestly yesterday when you and I met and we're going through things, I called you on the phone and just had the iPad and was scrolling through my multiple lists. Nice. So it's, it's been good. It's, it's, you know, and I think we, we, we need to mix things up every, every now and then. I need to wear green more often. It makes my eyes look cool. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. All right. Should we jump into uh, that was a longer than normal cold open, but I think that was was. fascinating. It it was fun. Like I, I would like to hear from folks about like, like as people have been forced into remote work or maybe they had some kind of remote work set up and it's been, you know, even firmed up even more now, you know, how have people over the last two years, you know, have they needed to find ways to adjust or, you know, keep themselves from getting stuck in a rut? Yeah. Because whether you're in the office or you're working from home, it, it's easy to get stuck in a rut. We all, we all get in that, right. Mm-hmm. We all get in that just kind of, 
on uh, on autopilot feeling every now and then. It's good to break yeah. it up. So I want to continue our conversation around quality. And 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 last week we we focused on digital analytics agencies and, and quality and some of the, the tactics that may not provide necessarily a quality experience in the end. I want to bring it back out and, and talk a bit broader today. And this is something you and I've talked a lot about offline lately, but why aren't things built to last? Um, why does it feel like quality is, is a lost art? Um, because we've all heard that adage of, you know, things aren't built to last like they, they used to. Why does it, why, why does it feel like, you know, quality is not as commonplace and, you know, and I'm not necessarily defining quality. It could be, you know, if it's something physical, the, um, the, the feel of it, the, the actual like ability for it to last or, or if it's maybe something intangible, you know, in this day and age software, it just kind of feels like it's slapped together. But, you know, in this case, like, oh, let's just go with a broad definition of quality. Why does it feel like, um, because you know, I know I'm not the only one that's observed this, that things aren't built to last like they used to. And, and quality is not commonplace anymore. Yeah. And where do we start? Um, there was a good Twitter exchange the other day that I think we can roll into this. And I wrote this before that. I'm trying to think you know, around, prob, around planned obsolescence. Yeah. I, I, so I think there, there are aspects where it's a strategy, but um, I, I don't know if that's the majority of cases. There, there are definitely, there are definitely cases we see it all the time. Like that, that thing right there, the printer, you know, like, these, these things are made so cheaply that uh, for the price of getting a refill in ink, it's like, well, I'll just go buy a new printer. It's come with a refill. It's about the same price, you know, like, so I, it's I no lie. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that there are, are items that are planned to be throwaway. Um, I, I think part of it is also kind of the lost art of, of having craftsmanship and, and kind of care for, for one's art. Um, you know, it in our in our mass produced society where we need more and more and more for cheap and cheap and cheap, we've kind of pushed in that direction. And so while it may be easy to blame the manufacturer or the craftsperson, a lot of it has been um, dictated by the market um, that, you know, we've got this we've got these desires for for things to be solved immediately. Um, and we also want it cheap. And so. You know, you can't get a highly custom, highly, you know, a craftsperson to really do something at a high quality that's going to last quick and cheap. You know, it's that adage of like the legs of the stool, like you get to choose two of these things or three, you know, you have to, you have to balance those things. But, you know, at, at one point in time, probably what, before the invention of the assembly line, um, there was a, there was a, a slower way of doing things and there was a quality to the way things were put together um, that they just, I think naturally lasted. It wasn't necessarily, I, I don't think it was necessarily the thought of, well, let's build something to last. It was just like, let's build something good that we're proud of the proud of our work. And the output of it was a high quality product that, that lasts. Um, 
And I really saw this when I was cleaning out my, my grandparents' home, like so much of what they had acquired was like 60, 70 years old, you know, and it was still an amazingly good condition. I, in fact, I have, I have a treadmill in my basement that I pulled out of their house that was, that is what now at least 40 years old now. And it's still like, it's a, it's a tank. It just runs like a beast. Um, and I know that I have found, I have bought, you know, equipment. Uh, I think I had a, a bike, I had a elliptical and it, you know, it works for six to nine months and then it literally starts falling apart. But I think if that was part of that planned obsolescence, like, yeah, use it and then buy a new one. Um, so I think there's a lot of, there's, there's probably a balance between it being, a conscious business decision to build something that you want people to just go buy a new hardware because it, it's planned to, to break down. Um, and part of it where it's this lost art of, of caring about your craft. And then part of it, the demand of consumers that they want everything cheap and fast. I think those kind of all play, especially in the hardware, you know, tangible good space. Um, it may be a slightly different conversation when it comes to services. Yeah, you, when you talk about craftsmen, um, uh, my wife and I have the Discovery Plus network or the Discovery Plus um, subscription. And part of that is the Magnolia network, which is Chip and Joanna Gaines. And then there's a show on there. It just it just finished up its first season, but it's phenomenal. It's uh, Clint Harp. He's the, the carpenter they usually work with when they're, mm-hmm. you know, working on a home. They usually go to him for for something. And so he has his own show and he partners with uh, a couple different guys that own companies around restoring old buildings. And it is a phenomenal show. Uh, there's this one guy, I love when he works with him because he just doesn't know the craft. Like he, He's not just like the carpentry and the craft of carpentry. He knows the history. Mm. So he's giving you a history lesson and he goes for these buildings and you know, his team is only focused on two, maybe three projects at a time, but because they take so long and like they, they do like they, they've taken buildings, broken them down, cataloged where the parts go, taken it back, restored like the old beams and then put it back up on a new foundation. Yeah. I mean, it, you, and you and I have talked about this network because I have a love of the uh, Saturday um, create shows on PBS where like there's just another level of care about the craft of what they're doing that just seems to be missing from so many of these shows that are on on cable news or cable networks. And I'm not going to pick on any specifically, but um you can tell that it's more about the facade of what they're doing and, you know, personal brands and making money for a lot of these shows. And it's just lacks any depth, you know, you, and a lot of these are these home makeover shows. It's like, it's manufactured drama and storylines, but there's no depth to what they're actually doing. And it's like, I want, I want the Woodwright workshop on PBS. I, you know, I want, I want someone that's a true craftsperson that knows the history and goes into the detail. And here's why this tool is so perfect for this job. To me, like I miss that, you know, that kind of the romanticism of really being um, good at what one does. And we're so, we've gotten away from that and it's, it's, it's really frustrating. And, and there are still a few outliers of, of companies um, and brands that have embraced the 
art of caring about the craft of what they they do but so many it's just about the job you know it's just about yeah let's just get it out you know we don't we don't have time to worry about the crafts uh, the craft of or the experience that we create around it and i think that that drives these the outcomes the products being low quality falling apart being more about the appearance than actually the good you know like there's a lot of products out there that the wrapping of it looks amazing but once you start digging into the nuts and bolts of it, it's like this was really poorly designed and put together yeah. but as long as it looks good on the outside you know it kind of serves a purpose so yeah and you said something really intriguing early on you know it you know you alluded to you know our need for instant gratification you know we've gotten so content with next day delivery not even costing anything anymore yeah. like when when i got into the e-commerce space 12 13 years ago next day delivery was easily $25 for even the major retailers. Yeah. Easily $25. Um, Amazon at that time was really pushing, pushing it. You know, you could get next day delivery for, my God, well, I don't know if you had prime, it's anywhere from four to six bucks. I can't remember off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Now you could have next day for free and for $2, you could have same day delivery. Yeah. Like it was funny and, and it's great that we're having this conversation today because this morning I had to run out and uh, we were running low on coffee for, for <laughs> tomorrow. And, um, you know, I go to the, this local roaster for it. So, you know, I quick ran over and got that, but then we're also running low on coffee filters. So I'm like, I pull, of course I pull up Amazon and the ones I wanted to get, they don't have for next day. And you know, I, I I had the typical reaction I think most people have like son of a bitch. So yeah, what the crap is this? I can't, I can't have it, you know, today or even tomorrow. You know, right. I, God damn it, I got to run to Target. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. So you know, I think that definitely it definitely plays into it. Um, and I think ultimately it's a margins game, right? In that. Um, as, as long as we can have our, our margins, that's all that matters. And we've built into, we've built into people that it's maybe not a bad thing that we're just constantly replacing things. You know, it's like, yeah, it doesn't yeah, really bother me. Disposable. It doesn't really bother me. I throw this printer away. I'll just go buy a new one. So, you know, I think while it's, while there's some good that can be had to be driven by brands that have a more sustainable view of things, ultimately it's going to be consumer driven. So if as consumers, we don't change what we demand, it's, it's going to be tough to see any major change at scale. With that said, I think there's always going to be a niche for both consumers and brands that want to do things in a more sustainable, more high quality way. Um, and that's where we kind of want to play, right? And I, we are playing, not kind of want to play. We are playing um, because we see this in we see this in the services space as well. Services is incredibly hard, um, you know. Yeah, it's 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 really hard to build a product company because there's so much complexity to it. But I don't think people appreciate how incredibly difficult it is to run a services company, um, and a lot of it comes down to to margins. And and what ends up happening is that um, in order to be profitable, companies um, from a services perspective are willing to put out cheap, flimsy, re, you know, 
this is going to be obsolete products in order to to be profitable to make their their margins um and i think part of it is is that the consumer maybe doesn't isn't knowledgeable enough to know what's good and what's not i think that definitely plays into it and part of it is is that um there's a belief and i think they're probably right from a lot of services companies that it doesn't matter you know let's get ours and it doesn't matter because the, the chance that these people that we're working with are here 12, 24 months from now is not very good. So they're not going to remember that we did a shoddy job and then another team will come in and they'll renew our contract and we'll do it again. And and so I think um, part of it is just taking advantage of a very transient buyer and a buyer that oftentimes isn't, isn't knowledgeable, right? Um, and, and I'm sure we can think of things as consumers that we wouldn't be knowledgeable about, you know? So, for example, like if if you're putting me down in front of a bottle of uh, ten dollar wine and five hundred dollar wine, I don't I have no idea, right? Like I don't have enough knowledge to say why one is better than another, and that's a lot of buyers in the services space is like they just don't know. It's like okay, it's it's I you know I drink it and it has alcohol in it, okay, you know, and that's how I think a lot of buyers in the services space are is they can't, you know, what is it a two buck check and a high end top shelf wine, they can't tell the difference between it. And so, you know, that, that often leads to services companies taking advantage of that buyer and taking a two buck check and marking it up to a hundred dollars because to the buyer, they have no idea. And if you brand it and position it well, and it's like, Oh, it's a nice hundred dollar bottle of wine here when it really isn't. So. I had something and I lost it. (laughs) Okay, well, then I will go back to, I'll kind of continue out this. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. It'll come back to me. <laughs> okay, I'll continue I went to go out. say it and I was like, I lost what I was going to say. So I'll continue ahead. out this, this services play uh, a bit more. So one of the things that we've been um, experimenting with internally is this three-tiered approach to how we view services. And, and I think the same model can be applied to product, tangible products or software products as well. Um, and it kind of goes back to what we alluded to around um, kind of doing the job of what you do. Mo- most companies that you interact with, whether you're buying services, whether you're buying software or whether you're buying a hard good like a printer, most companies that you interact and buy from are focused on doing the job. The printer I have does a job, right? It put ink in it, send a job to it, prints it out, I grab it. Um, in most services companies, it's the job. Right, most software that you buy, it does the job. I open it up, I type some stuff into it, and I save it. It's it's doing a job. Um, this lost art of thinking at, about it from a craft perspective is is lost, and most companies aren't thinking about it. There are a few that think about it from it's not just a job. You know, we have we have pride in our work, we have pride in our our expertise, and we want to be true artisans. You know, we want to be craftspeople, and we take pride in what we do. So it's not just slapping together a product as the job or giving a service as a job. It's it's taking that pride in knowing that, that we're true experts in what we do. And this is a lot of kind of going back to this whole concept of you know, you mentioned Disney or Discovery Plus with the Chip and Joanna Gaines network. Um, I, I liken it to shows on Saturday morning on PBS. You can tell, watch a cooking show on Food Network and watch a cooking show on Saturday morning on PBS. Food Network, that's the job of cooking, right? It's like we're doing the job. 
The chefs on Saturday morning on PBS, you can tell that they take deep pride in their craft and, and all those kind of woodworking shows. And what's the, there's the show where they remodel houses on PBS. Um, it's been around for like 30 or 40 years. Oh, this old house? This old house. Uh, right? Like you can tell that they take pride in what they do. That's that's the craft. And there are there are a handful of companies in each of the spaces, hard goods, software, services, that really are thinking about it from a craft perspective. And when you work with those brands, it just feels different. And you get a different quality of product or service. And it's nice. Like you know it when you see it. Um but we've decided to even go beyond that. And this is where I think you get into extremely, extremely elite brands. And there are examples, again, in hard goods and software and in services of companies that have said, you know what, we're going to even go beyond the craft and we're going to think about the experience of what we create. And that's really what we've been focused on for the last, what, coming on nine years now is that, yeah, we do the job. Yeah, we we take deep pride in the craft. We are true artisans, but it's even more than that. We want to focus on the experience that we're creating for our customers, the experience we're creating for our employees. And I think when companies get to that level, it is incredibly rarefied air. There are only an elite few companies in each category that have decided to move beyond the craft because honestly, if if you get to the craft of what you do, it makes you elite. It, it, it makes you in a different category. But when you move beyond the craft to the experience, you're literally in a league league by yourself. Yeah. So, you know, with that, like if, if we start to compare quality with services versus quality with like where you're actually producing something tangible. Um, while, yes, like, you know, you can you can try to fake it with a facade, but people will start to recognize the difference between something that is well-made versus something that is slapped together you, you, there there's just a feel when, when 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 you hold something that has you know that's built with quality hardware um you know quality tangible goods um it's how do you do that with a service organization <laughs> i know you're talking about the experience and it's something you and i talk about all the time but like part of me is like you know, it's, and again, I'm not downplaying some kind of product, you know, like the, the effort that goes into building a product. And that's, yeah. that, that's part of it is, is like, it is hard work to produce something of quality, but I think like, while yes, there are those times where you gave the wine example, people can fake it. I think a majority of people, they get a feel that, you know, yeah. it, it's easy to tell when something is made cheaply versus versus not yeah and that's it's it's a lot more difficult in in services um because with tangible goods at least if you have some level of knowledge about what it is that you're you're holding or doing it's it's easy to fill it right if i if i sit down to uh, a cheap piano or i sit down to you know if i sit down to like a thousand dollar cheap piano and i play it or i sit down to like a twenty thousand dollar really nice studio piano you can just like how the keys feel, how it feels when you press, like it's instant. You can feel it. Right. And then there's probably lots of consumer goods where, where that is the case. I think we talked about maybe rice cookers on our last episode. It could be cars. It could be chairs. You know, I'm, I, I finally upgraded my, my office chair. I was sitting in a $70 chair from Walmart and I, 
and I upgraded to a $500 office chair. And it's like instantly you sit in it. You're like, okay, this feels different. Yeah. I'm and still using the $99 staple special. <laughs> dude, you gotta, I know you stand a lot, but man, I, this was another one of those things where I'm like, why did I wait so long to buy a nice chair? Because it is just such a different experience. And so I think those are the right words, right? Like I sit in this chair and it just feels different than a Walmart chair, than the $70 Walmart chair. And that is how we've thought about it from a services perspective. You know, we can fake it by hiring a high-end designer and putting really nice, glossy designs to our deliverables. And our website could be perfectly polished and make us look incredible and amazing. But what it comes down to is how does how do our clients feel working with us? And if they don't feel amazing, if they don't feel different, if they don't feel like they trust their data more, if they don't feel more secure and happy in their job, then we're not we're not creating the experience that, that we're looking for. And so while it while it may be harder to kind of get to that state from a services perspective, really it's the same thing. It comes down to not not how great the packaging is, not how great the marketing is, not how pretty it looks, but when I sit in the chair, when I engage with the service, does it feel amazing? And that's really been our how we've talked about um, measuring our level of success in in moving from the craft to the experience of what we do. So um, with the time left, there is one part of this I, I want to make sure we don't we don't miss. And you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it, it's a controversial topic, but the idea of planned obsolescence, you know, it, it, it's something that, I mean, I remember being in college and that was something being talked about in, in my operations class. You know, that is something some companies plan for, but it's controversial because no one wants to, to admit that, you know, they, they plan for products to be too, to fail sooner. And, to wear and out we, for 100%. Yeah, yeah to, 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 to wear out. Um, no one wants to believe that, but but what are your thoughts on that? Because I feel like planned obsolescence is something that is, it's it, it's becoming more and more commonplace. Things are becoming disposable, and we've kind of already touched on this a bit, but I feel like things are becoming quickly dis disposable. Like people plan to get a new $1,000 phone every other year. That's a lot of money every other year to spend on a phone. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is. And I think, I think one, it's potential laziness Two, it's, it's building in some kind of predictable new revenue. And, and three, again, I think there's a component to the consumer's expectations in it that need to come into play. Um, I think the phone may be a, a slightly different outlier, maybe a different conversation. Most, most of the items that I, that come to mind quickly for me that are planned obsolescence tend to be um, on the cheaper, more affordable, more affordable end. Um, and it's easy to make that um, decision to say, well, I, do I want to pay the extra premium for this high-end product that I probably am never going to have to re replace? Or do I want to pay a lot less, but I know I'm going to have to replace it? We So we've talked about it with shoes, right? It's like, do I want to go to pay less and buy a $10 pair of shoes I know I'm going to have to replace in six weeks? Or should I, you know, pay $200 for this other pair? It's a lot more, um, but I probably am going to not have to replace it for five to 10 years. 
I think about this. So with my Jeep, um, I bought a high end air filter. I think it cost me $60. Uh, it has a lifetime guarantee. I'm never going to buy another air filter for that Jeep. But when I'm, when I'm, when I'm in that buy decision, do I think, and do I really want to buy this $60 air filter or is the $3, you know, paper air filter good enough, even though it's going to, you know, be, it's only going to last for a few, few thousand miles. I have to throw it away and buy a new one. Oftentimes it's just so much easier, more convenient and cheaper, at least in the short term to say, eh, I'll buy the one that's throwaway. And, and unfortunately we think about that with services a lot too, right? It's, um, there's, there's two sides of the services coin where we have companies saying, do I really, really want to pay a premium to do this implementation? Right. Um, knowing that it's going to cost me substantially more in the short term, um, or do I want to pay, you know, I don't, and I don't want to pick on offshore, but offshore is typically real, really cheap and what they're comparing what they're comparing against. Do I want to, you know, pay an offshore agency to do it for super cheap? Um, and sure, I may have to redo it again in a year, but you know, it's super cheap, so it doesn't really matter. Um, on the other end of it, and the more, I guess, egregious end of it, you have agencies that plan for obsolescence, to your point. Again, and that was kind of your question, where it's like, we're going to build an implementation. We're going to build a data layer. We're going to design a uh, analysis strategy. We're going to, we're going to architect a, an optimization program for you. We know is going to be obsolete in a, in a year because that's going to allow us to come back in and sell more services to redo it. And, and that's where I think la- agencies are lazy. They don't trust that they can scale and mature with a client. So rather than saying our goal is to grow with our customers and the way we're going to make money long-term is to sell more and more sophisticated services to our clients, we're, we, we don't trust that we have the ability to do that. So we're going to build in obsolescence to our services so that we just are in constant maintenance and rebuild mode so that we can guarantee that future revenue stream. Um, you know, since you bring that up and again, you kind of jumped the gun on one of the, que- the next question I, I wanted to, to go down with. I this tend is, to do is, that sometimes. Yeah, you do that all the time. It's, it's great. <laughs> um, so like in services, you know, like, you know, because it's, you know, it, it's easy to tell sometimes again, it, in, in, in tangible goods where you, you, you get the feeling that they want to turn over product services, you know, it, it you know, my question was going to be does it exist? And yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and you answered it well. Um, you know, are there warning signs to two services that, you know, that, that sh- or are there red flags that people should look out for where it comes to this, where, you know, a services company is trying to make sure that they, they, they become ingrained yes. with, with, with constant logs of work. Yeah, for sure. So the immediate red flags are the services company you're, you are working with does not want your team involved, meaning they want to create this um, curtain where they're doing all the work behind the curtain and they don't want you to see what they're doing. That's an immediate, immediate red flag. And we've seen this quite a bit, unfortunately. Um, and, and, and I don't want to single out um, ad agencies, but they tend to be the ones that are the biggest um, contributor or violator of this, where they hide what they're doing behind the scenes because they don't want your team 
to understand what they're doing um, because they want to create, they want to maintain complete ownership and keep it a bit secretive so that that never dries up. So if you're, if you're, services company agency that you're working with isn't involving your existing team, um, that that should be a red flag. If the agency you are working with doesn't have it as part of their charter with you um, to plan their own obsolescence, meaning our job as an agency should be to work ourselves out of a job, that should be a red flag. You know, our goal um, isn't to create dependencies. Our goal is to help guide and create solutions to problems. And again, if we're going to have long-term relationships with our clients, it's because we're solving new and more complex problems all the time. It's not that we're working on the same thing over and over again. Um, I'm trying to think of, of a good analogy, but let's say, let's say you go to a trainer and like your trainer is working on a certain set of things, maybe lifting weights or something. The goal of the trainer shouldn't be to like, okay, in order to keep Jim long-term, I'm going to keep him from progressing. So I'm going to keep him like coming and we're going to work on this one thing over and over and over again. Like that shouldn't be the goal, right? Like the goal of your trainer shouldn't be like, I'm going to get Jim in shape. And so like, he's going to run a faster marathon. So he gets, so he doesn't want to work with me anymore. It should be I want to get Jim to like be a competitive marathon runner. And then once he's got that, he's going to retain my services because then he's going to want to do an Ironman, right? And then once he starts doing Ironman, like I want him to retain my services because he wants to become an ultra runner. Um, you know, that's how agencies should look at it. And that's how clients should look at agencies is like, they shouldn't want to keep me where I am. They should want me to, to push more and more and more and that I retain their services as I progress in what I do. So if your agency is not interested in you progressing outside of like your current fit, because they want you to keep buying that set of services from them, that should be a red flag. And you can see that in how well your agency is mentoring and training your team. If they're not, it's a red flag that they're, they're simply there to do the work and they want to keep you potentially locked into to doing that. So doing things behind the curtain, hiding things from your team, not man, not mentoring and training, um, those should be immediate, immediate red flags. Because ultimately, again, these things should be in-house. If, if you're not working in a partnership with your agency partner to build more and more expertise in-house, you've got the wrong partner. You, you probably, if you're using them as a contractor, fine, right? Like we've talked about the different reasons companies buy services. And one of them is we just need bandwidth, right? If you're just buying bandwidth, that's a different conversation. But if you're buying expertise and you're buying influence and you're buying objectivity, that should be being built in-house. And that should be flowing from the agency to your internal team. And if it's not major major red flag to avoid. Yeah. I want to say it was like 15 years ago. I was, you know, it was maybe five, six years into my career at that point. And I kind of had that epiphany um, working for a services company where it's like, yeah, like the, the easy thing is, is, is to make clients dependent upon you. And it was the, this, this moment of clarity. I'm like, why? No, because you know, we don't grow. They don't grow. We just keep solving the same things. Mm -hmm. It's this weird, and I'm going to call it a paradox because it, it, believe it or not, while it's, it feels like it's common sense, most people don't grasp it. The more you try to work yourself out of a job, 
the more someone wants to work with you. That's what we've seen for sure. Oh, I, I've, I've, I've seen it for the last 15 years throughout my career. Anytime there's that, someone always has, has a harder problem. And the more, and it's, this is a very Zen thing. And, and it's almost like, think about like you're holding sand. The more you squeeze it, the more you try to hold on to it, the more it slips out of your hands. Yeah. It, it slips through the cracks in your fingers and next thing you know, it's not there. So the more you try to hold on to a client, the, the, the less chance of actually retaining them where the more you relax your hand and the more you try to, you know, you know again, going back to that, work yourself out of a job you know, owning less and less and, you know, helping enable them to own more and more of what you originally came into work in on, you're going to see that that scope grow. Yeah, it happens again. Yeah, it is. It is an incredible paradox, but we, we see it all the time and we're, we're transparent in it because it's a conversation. Lots of companies are starting to ask, and I'm glad they are, is they, they ask questions like, well, how can we make sure that we build this expertise in house? Like we're really worried about becoming dependent on you. Good. You should be. And, and we don't want you to be, you know, our goal is to work ourselves out of a job. Our goal is to raise the overall, um, expertise in your organization. Um, the bulk of the time we end up staying there a really long time. The difference is we don't stay there working on that same project over and over and over again to ad nauseum. We grow with the client. We take on more difficult challenges. Again, we graduate from the marathon to the Ironman. Like that's that's what we're doing with our clients. So while our goal is to work ourselves out of a job, the paradox is is that it opens up a lot more work and a lot more opportunity to to do that. And I guess in essence, we do right. If we think about the clients that have been with us the longest, from the job perspective, we are working ourselves out of the job because we with the clients we've been with the longest, what we started doing, we no longer do with them, right? Like they've got that handled. In fact, I just had this conversation with one of our existing clients. I said, they said, well, you know, we want to talk about renewal to do this work. I'm like, no, you don't need us to do that anymore. You guys got this, you know, we've got you to a place where you've got it, you know, and that was the goal all along um, for you to get to a point where you had this expertise in house and you don't need us anymore. We've achieved that. I don't want to talk about a renewal for that. If you want to talk about a renewal for some of these other things that we can advance you in, let's talk about that. But I'm not just, I'm not going to take your money to keep doing this because you don't need it. And, and that really is the goal um, is to work ourselves out of that job. We want to stay connected, especially with great clients, but we need new work. We need to advance in what we're doing. Um, and that really is the differentiator. Yeah, totally. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's everything I had on, on this topic. Was there anything we didn't touch on? No, I mean, I think we covered the, the main points of it. Um, and again, I think it's important to recognize and understand that there are differing options for differing consumers, and that's okay. I don't want to say that every planned obsolescence is bad or every low-end quality or I, maybe the low end isn't the right way to put it, but um, not high end, not high quality is bad, right? There's there's a need for the IKEA furniture. There's a need for the cheap Staples chair. There's like there's a need that that fits, and I think that that's okay. We're not saying that everyone needs to migrate to a high end artisanal it, that that only fits a certain buyer. But what I am saying is is that as manufacturers, as brands, as sellers, we need to be clear on what we're, what role we're playing and why. And I think more importantly, consumers need to understand 
what they want and be more vocal about it. Um, and, and they have a huge pull on, on the, the future of how things are done. Again, you know, our, our want it all now, we need our coffee filters right this minute. You know, if we continue that trend, we have to be okay living with the results. And that's that we're going to have the vast majority of goods and services that we consume are going to be low quality, high, high breakdown rates. And we're going to, and if we're okay with that, that's fine. But if we're not, we have to know as consumers that it's in our hands to make the decisions that we are going to support higher priced, higher turnaround times in quality to be able to truly invest in things that are going to last and be more meaningful. Um, that's in our hands as consumers to make that choice. Mm -hmm. Very well said. Yeah. So I think that's a, a good thing, you know, good spot to, to wrap up on, you know, you know, a great way to summarize it. Awesome. Cool. All right. So that's, that's it for, for this week. Um, I will catch you later. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.